Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Granite Cornerstone podcast, episode number 17, where we're going to be discussing lodge culture. Joining me this evening are the Right Worshipful Grand Lecturer of the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire, Right Worshipful Brother Chris Busby. Chris, welcome. Hey, Tim. Also joining us this evening is the Right Worshipful District Deputy Grand Master of the Second Masonic District, Right Worshipful Brother Scott Newberry. Scott, hey, welcome. Tim. Thanks, Tim. Hey, Chris. Hello, Scott. So we are here tonight to discuss lodge culture. And, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this and, and it came up uh, on several of our past episodes is because lodge culture informs a lot of the things that we do as a lodge and it informs a lot of the activities that we consider valuable as a lodge. And I think that that's something that you're going to see is very different across a, a wide breadth of lodges and, and, you know, you'll hear this over and over again is, is one of the reasons it's great to go out and travel and, and see new lodges and, and see what they do, because it introduces you to new cultures. So we've brought it up in the past. Um, I think one of the most uh, important times we've brought it up is when we're talking about our episode about guarding the West Gate, because making sure that you're bringing a brother in who matches the culture of your lodge or who adapts to the culture of your lodge is very important. So we've been talking about this for a long time. So let's kind of get a framework around what is lodge culture in your opinions. Chris, why don't you, why don't you give us a start? You know, lodge culture is sort of a, it's a big topic, right? So, I mean, you're talking about sort of the, the things that not only the things that the lodge focuses on, it's it's labors on um, beyond you know the ritual and the lessons of Freemasonry, but it's also a lot about how brothers treat each other, um, the types of things that uh, they get involved with outside of lodge, um, not just in the meetings uh, of you know of your lodge's meetings, but you know in in the community, whether that be uh, whether that be uh, community work as far as charitable work, uh, what the focus is from a, a, a business meeting perspective, what does that look like? Um, and, you know, sort of how those brothers interact with each other. I think that, you know, all of those things sort of compose, comprise the bigger, uh, the bigger answer to what lodge culture is. Scott, how about you? Well, I do have to agree with Chris on a lot of it. I mean, the, the it's almost like the social norm of the organization. How how are we going to handle things? What's acceptable? Uh, you know, not just from a you know business meeting, special meeting, what types of projects, but even the way you interact, the language that's acceptable uh, in to when you all get together. It's, let's face it, you know, you, you sit there and, and you can tell that there's certain words that groups like to avoid, and there's certain words that are acceptable. Uh, there's certain phrases that people like to use, uh, and it just becomes part of the ingrained fabric of the uh, the lodge. I mean, a good example, I mean, if you want to just take a look at overall what a lodge is like, uh, when I moved into the second district, you know, St. Mark's, when I came over, the first meeting I went to, their culture was a, was one of those ones that's really welcoming. They, you know, they want to make you feel comfortable. I walked down into the banquet hall and before I had gotten three steps in, they were offering me, you know, a cup of coffee. Wanted to know if I wanted something to eat, made you feel very much at home. And that's, that was a great culture for the lodge at the time. 
you know, other cultures of the lodges, you know, they may be out there, you know, they're very, some of them are a little more standoffish until they get to know you a little bit. Some, but uh, you know, the, it's a lot about how you interact with each other and how you accept those types of people as they come in. Uh, and, and it's, it's hard to put a thumb on it and, get, and tell you this is exactly what the lodge culture is for a particular building, a uh, particular lodge, but uh, it's something that grows over time. Well, you know, I think that's important too, Scott, is to realize that, like you just said, it does grow and change over time. I think that when you talk about lodge culture, you really want to look at it from the perspective of who are your members, what do they want out of their Masonic experience, and how do you evolve your culture in that in that, you know, window. Because I think that one of the things, you know, I've seen is that you come into a lodge and that, that lodge has traditions, which I think are separate from culture. Um, but they also have a, a lodge culture that may not have changed in a long time, even though their membership or their active membership has drastically changed. So how do you end up, you know, kind of assimilating into that culture and, and trying to, to work on, making it a more active reflection of your membership. Well, I, I think you, you, the word that you mentioned, evolve, is an important one. And I think the difference between, you know, sort of that tradition part and, and the sort of the basics of what, uh, you know, Freemasonry is, uh, for the most part, with, with some, you know, with some exceptions, doesn't really change. So the you know, we have to sort of be adaptive to not only the 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 members that come that that come into our lodge, but also you know things like you know how we use technology, you know how we uh, you know uh, everything that we do has to sort of evolve over time to sort of keep pace with uh, you know what what our members need, but also what the community at large, the the men at large, are looking for. Uh, in order for them to feel comfortable to at least even want to consider becoming part of our fraternity. I also think you have to, you know, we, we kind of touched on it it's about the membership. Uh, my lodge went through a rather radical change in its membership over the last 15 years. You know, we had a, a number of, I'll call them elder statement, you know, the, uh, the pillars of the lodge, you know, the older brothers who, you know, they were tried and true. They knew the, tra you know, the traditions of the lodge. They, they had a certain way they wanted to approach things, which was great and fantastic when you come in. And then over the span of just a few short years, we lost several of them. Either, you know, they passed away or they moved away. And now all of a sudden you're looking at a lodge where, you know, here I am. And, you know, I'm looking around. I'm like, how did I become the old guy in the, in the building? And, you know. <laughs> you've got a lot of first generation Masons versus, you know, guys that have been, you know, the second, third or fourth generation in, in a lodge. It changes how the culture of the, uh, the lodge fits, how the personality, yeah, someone you mentioned the term personality, the personality lodge changes. Uh, and I think one of the biggest challenges with that is when you're set in the culture and see a sudden shift like that, you have to figure out a way to let go of what was there because it needs to, uh, as we said, evolve into something different to fit now what's a radically different membership. And those and those cultural change, the, sort of the generational changes that you mentioned, they sort of lead to sort of those collisions, right? They, they do. Uh, I, I, of different I, ways of looking at, at, at what 
what this should be all be about. Right. And, and the trick here is, that, or I shouldn't say the <clears> trick, but one of the challenges was, is that you were talking with two generational shifts. You were talking about the age yeah. generational shift that was there. And then you were talking about the Masonic age tr transition as well. So you went from guys that were, you know, 20, 30, 40 years to guys that mm -hmm. are three and how they look at stuff and how they perceive the fraternity is very different now. And you know what? I think that there's an interesting question here is every lodge has a culture, whether they know it or not, whether they actively understand what that culture is or not. How, how can a lodge go about even identifying what its culture is or what its historical culture has been? Well, as far as what its culture is, you, you really you have to engage the brethren in that discussion, right? I, I think it is a discussion. Um, you know, one point my lodge actually, actually multiple times, my lodge did a survey uh, of its members to see, you know, what, and to try to get really sort of uh, constructive and honest feedback from the guys just to say, you know, look, you know, what, what are you not finding in the lodge that you're looking for? What are you looking for in Freemasonry? You know, th those questions, you know, we don't ask ourselves or each other that all that often. <laughs> and I think that, you know, when you're seeing those shifts happen, I think it's time to sort of stop, st take a step back and say, okay, you know, what, what do our brethren actually want? Now we can't please everyone all the time. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that leads in, you know, leads us into some trouble if we if we try to do that. But what we can do is to sort of build a consensus. And, and the master has a lot to do with that. Right. Um, and and the uh, the progression of masters um, in a lodge has a lot to do with that. But I think that if we're, we're listening, asking those questions, listening to our brethren and then sort of making a plan going forward, a five or 10 or 15 year plan, obviously those things can shift because, things change and they can change in a very short period of time. Um, but to, to be able to think about the future in that way, but talk to your brethren in the present and, and look at it as sort of a, uh, as an organic, uh, an organic thing, which is really what culture is all about in, in anything that we do. And we, we also have to look at the fact that, you know, your lodge culture will also shift based on what goes on outside of the lodge as well. Let's face it, we've had a huge cultural shift in most of our lodges based on what just happened, you know, with the pandemic over the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden it's the, well, maybe it's acceptable to have to, to chat on a video call instead of, you know, making sure everybody <laughs> has to be in the same room at the same time. Yeah, that's that's a cultural shift. Oh, absolutely. You know? and, and people don't realize just how much, you know, the whole pandemic has impacted what not only what we do as Masons, but as the cultures of our lodges as well. I mean, it, it just changed, you know, John uh Chris, you mentioned, you know, technology and, you know, there's a lot more technology being used now than there was just a few years ago. Yeah. And then there's those sort of the, the forced cultural shifts, like, you know, you've mentioned and those that just sort of come naturally. And I think that, you know, to your point, Scott, you know, COVID has really sort of given us that forced shift and we've been able to adapt to it, I think, pretty well. Um, I'm sure that, some brothers and some lodges have, you know, have, have struggled um, more than others. But I, I think that, I, I think that that, that necessity uh, has really, has really prompted a lot of that. So to, to be able to then shift from the necessity 
uh, or at least the apparent necessity of having to shift because of a, an external event being a little bit more proactive in, in looking, you know, taking a, a, a very definitive look without sort of that external uh, need uh, to be able to shift in that way, I think is important too. Yeah. And, and I know Tim's going to go off on a big, huge tangent, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, when you take a look at cultures. Don't, don't beat up the host there, Scott. Come on. This is my show, buddy. Come on. Well, okay, fine. I'm going to take my toys and go home. Um, but, you know, if, if when you take a look at culture, though, you know, we talk about the force changes and the evolutionary changes. It's important to understand that not everything sticks. You know, no. that I think that's one of the biggest things that, you know, people need to come to realize that you, know, you introduce something that's a change to how your your lodge is you know you know culturally you know a lot of lodges uh, at least here in new hampshire i know they pick a couple of months of the year where they're you know they go dark they don't have stated communications uh, but doesn't mean they're not active but typically they're active in other ways and you know when you go and introduce something like okay well you know this we want to make a shift we're going to change the months we're dark you know, I know a lot of lodges, you know, right now are dark during the summer, but maybe they go dark during the winter months to conserve on heating costs. Well, that changes what you do as a lodge now. And does it stick afterwards? You know, it's it's a pain to change your bylaws to win and change those things. But there are people that's like, hey, this just doesn't work. We need to go back the other way. So, well, you know, I think you both make a good point. You know, Chris talks about surveying the members, making sure you're aware of the pulse of the lodge. And, you know, certainly different cultural aspects sticking is important because COVID has certainly forced us into one set of changes that I think has some very positive outcomes that, you know, hopefully will stick around. But it's forced a lot of lodges to think about the way they operate and the way they do business and, and kind of make different decisions. And some of those may stick and some of them may not. But I think... You know, as Chris said, it's an active sort of exercise. You need to be reaching out to your membership, but you also need to be as leaders in your lodges, as members of your lodges, constantly evaluating what your culture is, how it's changed, and whether those are the right changes for your lodge and your members. Because I think that you can't take a passive approach to this. I think you really need to to have your finger on what your lodge culture is and and how it shifts, because I think that influences the longevity of your members, right? It influences the, the enthusiasm of new members coming in. And that's a, a pretty significant piece of a lodge's success in its future. And, and, too, fa- and too fast of a change is going gonna, is gonna to potentially scare some, some folks off too. And, oh, that's, and I think you've well, seen that. With the, the other thing you have and to I, be clear. I'm sorry, Chris. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, you know, we talk about being active and asking the membership. We also need to understand that making no effort to adjust your culture still creates a culture. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you may, you may yeah. not be thinking about it, but whether you actively try to make changes in the way your lodge does things and the way they approach things, you're still going to create a, a culture and it may not necessarily be the culture you want. Not, not all cultures are good. There are, there are negative aspects to a large culture potentially that you, if you don't have that active participation or active understanding, you may be missing those as well. And those are things that may need to get changed or eliminated from, from your culture. And, you know, just on this conversation, um, right. Worshipful Ackridge uh, has added a comment that there is a culture of your lodge uh, speaker program that you can book through the speakers bureau, which I think is, is a great way to, 
kind of understand this and approach it actively within your own lodge. And certainly, you know, uh, bring everybody in and have them listen to this podcast. You can download us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts. And he goes for the plug. Yeah. Shamelessly. Always so we have a question email address. Uh, in the audience. Um, I'm sorry, Facebook, our Facebook plugin is not working very well. Everybody's just in there as Facebook user. So I don't know who's asking this question, but it says, as a lodge culture shifts and evolves, how would you recommend including older brethren to ensure you don't abandon them as the lodge evolves? And I think that's a really, really good question because those people have been used to a culture for the last 15, 20, 30 years, whatever it may be. I mean, you know, Scott obviously is one of those older brethren now. Um, and how do we, according to the chat, at least, this is not me. This is the chat saying yeah, you're old, Scott. I, I, I understand. I, and I saw who was making the comments. And if I'm old, <laughs> I can only imagine how they are. <laughs> <laughs> so that how do you include brethren who are used to something that has been one way for so long? And how do you get them? either enthusiastic about these changes or at the very least accepting of them. Yeah. I'd like to talk on that. So that's, you know, that, that's a very crucial thing because if, if you don't pay it again, if you don't pay attention to your older, older members, you're going to, you're going to lose them. They're going to say, you know what? I've done my, I've done my time. Uh, I'm going to back away because, you know, the young blood has come in and, you know, are now the next generations running things. But I, I think that, and I and I say this related to a lot of different things. The why, understanding why why we want to do we you know those that are that are wanting to implement the change, why they're doing what they're doing. You know, does it does it make sense? Are you including it now? Uh, you know, you might not necessarily be able to include every old, older brother in every aspect of what you're doing, but if you if you communicate with them, if you speak to them as though that they are important, which they are. And and let them know that they have a place at the table, no matter what it is. They may not agree with the specific change or be able to participate in the way that other brothers might, but at least that they you will have their respect and their participation as as far as they can, because they they felt included and felt uh, felt that they are a, still a part of the lodge going forward. And, you know, that's essentially what Brother Wadsworth just said, talking with them one-on-one, -on -one, making sure you're communicating with those individuals. I, and I have to, you know, I'll echo that as well. I mean, when I came over to, you know, my lodge here in the district, you know, I was relatively young compared to several of the other brothers. And, you know, St. Mark's had a very specific culture, a very specific way of doing things. And as I moved through the chairs, I started bringing up, things that I thought we should change or might make a better, you know, experience for folks. And so, you know, some of it was just procedural and, you know, it's like, well, why don't we have, you know, rehearsals on a specific night of the week or, you know, why don't we shift when we do our degrees versus when they're done now? Uh, and it was important to understand that when I started having those conversations, I spoke from a, Hey, I'm just thinking about this. What, you know, what do you think? Cause it was a, made it a conversation. To, and to be very respectful of the fact that there was an already an existing culture and existing way of doing things. Whether I agreed with it or not, it didn't matter. It was important for me to understand what it was. And when I opted to go in a different route, when I became master, the bro older brother understood, all right, this is Scott's term as master. He's going to make some changes. 
but he's trying we understand he's also doing it with respecting what we do already so it wasn't just you know me making a wholesale change and saying you know what you guys are just gonna have to lump it i tried yeah, to make it can't them be done overnight no it, it cannot it be a, done overnight that's right no i mean there's some things that you know i i feel that it would be great for the culture of a lodge that you know i'm still having those conversations with because the lodge isn't ready to do it and they may never be i mean it just may be you know something that i've got my head and it's just not right for saint mark's and i think it's one of the things that you know it's important you have to have those conversations and you have to be respectful of the brothers doesn't matter if it's the older generation or not you have to be respectful of the brothers because they've got opinions of what they want to make the lodge as well and i think you know there's an aspect of this that we we didn't really touch on you know chris is making sure you're communicating to those brethren about why we want to make these changes and the benefits of those changes but those older brethren are a font of knowledge. Yes. They know why things are the way they are. And what may seem to you or me or, or somebody else on the sidelines as just a, a useless piece of our culture may actually be a, a very core part of the lodge's identity. And understanding why things are done the way they're done or understanding the motivations behind certain cultural aspects is hugely important to making sure that we're successful in changing the culture because a lodge has to have its its identity and that identity can't just disappear Which, yeah yeah you have to you have to respect the history uh, absolutely of what i mean i mean look we're masonry right we've been we've been around for a very long time so i i think we already have an eye to that um but i think that if we knowing what, what those guys, those brothers know is important. In my lodge, we had sort of a, when I came up as master, we had sort of a gap. And I think that masonry tends to have this gap, right? Because the baby boomers, you know, for some, in some way, shape or form didn't join. And uh, even the generation afterward, you know, didn't join quite as much. So, you know, there is that sort of gap and that's a gap, not only generation, right? In, in what, those guys experience, but also in knowledge. Um, because if you don't have guys that are, that, that have seen this stuff or, or acted past masters, then a lot of that can be lost. And so you're, you're, you're faced with, uh, uh, faced with the possibility of having to sort of dig back to find, you know, to, to search for that. And then sort of as a lodge decide that you're going to, move forward in a, in a specific direction without a lot of that, um, a lot of that history, um, from a, from an interpersonal standpoint. So that's, that's an interesting point, Chris. And I think I want to talk about that a little bit when you're talking about having lost some of those things, right? You're no longer talking about changing your large culture because your large culture is so fragmented and disjointed now. How do you, how do you build a culture? How do you you take what is essentially nothing because your your culture has shifted to the four winds? How do you build upon that to, to create a new culture from scratch? I, I think you have to decide what you know. You have to 
come come to the best consensus you can and, and sort of decide what you're going to focus on. And sometimes that that focus is just the basics. Okay, well, we're going to be a lodge that does great ritual. We're going to be a lodge that does education programs at every meeting. We're going to be a lodge that takes care of our special ladies, right? I, I think that if the, the the peril that we face in that situation is is by do, trying to do too much at once. Um, and I, from my own experience, I could say that I tried to do too much at once and doesn't always work out. Right. So, you know, picking sort of, again, getting that consensus, talking to the brethren and then sort of saying, okay, you know what, as a lodge, we're going to focus on this now. It doesn't mean that that's all you're going to be, but at least gives you an, it gives you a, 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 a focal point to gather around, to, to, to plan around and it gives you something to look forward to. You're able to begin to say, okay, this this is a goal we're going to set for ourselves and start moving in that direction. That can be true with, with any lodge, but if you're starting with sort of, I don't want to say nothing, but sort of you're rebuilding the lodge identity, um, being able to sort of start with those basic pieces associated with Freemasonry, build on that, and then start to see those other aspects kind of uh, sort of organically flow out of that. And and you say basic pieces. And I think that, you know, we talk about that a lot in our ritual is, you know, basic pieces are, are our tenants. And those are the things that we need to understand so that we make sure that our culture is true to Freemasonry as it, as it should be. You know, we have ancient landmarks. We have these sacred yep. tenets of our order. And we need to make sure that the culture we build is, is true to those. So, Chris, uh, you said specifically, and, and Scott, you also had this experience. You've tried to implement some of these cultural changes in your experience. Chris, you said you took on a lot of things. Scott, you took a, a little bit of a slower, slow burn approach. But does it always work? Does everything always work out the way you want it to? Nope. No, I, I, I would say... Of the items that I worked on, both when I was master and following uh, my leaving the East, there's only one or two items that are that have stuck and stayed with the lodge after you know following along. There's a lot of things that you know I did, you know, and some of it was you know procedural, you know, making simple change to how I want to approach the business aspects, which would at that point filter down and, and change the way you culturally do things. And there were other things that, you know, uh, you know, big, you know, the, the big sky things, you know, like I want us to travel more. So, you know, we made an effort to that, or we were looking to, you know, change our rehearsal schedules, uh, you know, and those are big changes for a lot of lodges. When you look at what we have today, I mean, I, I will be honest and, and I don't think I'll, I'll be offending anybody here with uh, St. Mark's was a very closed culture. When I came over to the, uh, to the district, they were very welcoming. Don't get me wrong. They were very welcoming. They want to make you feel like a part of the family, but they didn't travel a lot. They, you know, met very few times a month, typically just the state of communication. So there was a huge cultural shift just to open things up. Hey, let's do a degree on a different night. Let's do more than one rehearsal. You know, let's let's come down here every Sunday nights, which is what we, which is actually one of the things that has stuck uh, uh, since that time is that uh, traditionally, you know, St. Mark's didn't do a lot of rehearsals, and now candidate education and rehearsals are pretty much every Sunday night now. Uh, and that's it's, remarkable. It's it was a huge cultural shift. 
Uh, but that took several years for it to actually become ingrained in how St. Mark's wanted to approach things. You know, it's, it's, it's a big difference. And you can't just expect things like that to happen overnight. Some of it didn't stick and we just moved on. And it's, it's like, well, you know, I might mention it to the next master, see if he wants to retry it. But that's ultimately up to them. And if the lodge likes it, it sticks around. If not, it goes away. But it's a conversation about, hey, have you thought about this? So, you know, I think you mentioned changing rehearsal nights and you mentioned that it's a major cultural shift. And you th- you talk about it, you think about hearing that those phrases and you're like, no, it doesn't really seem like it's that big of a deal. Right. But now all of a sudden you're asking your officer line, you're asking your brethren to be out a second night of the week, which is something you haven't done before. And yep. that changes everything. I mean, that, that extra night, you know, it's conversations with your your significant other. It's it's potentially impacting other social activities. So even the smallest decisions or what seem like small decisions have huge reverberations when it comes to your membership and the culture of your lodge. It's a, you know, when you first said it, Scott, I wouldn't have thought about it as a major shift, but it, now that I've kind of thought about it a little bit more, that's a, that is a pretty big deal. It, it, it can be. I mean, you know, whether it's adding more rehearsal nights or shifting the night it's on, uh you know it 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 can impact a lot of stuff you know one of the things that you know we had a master who you know because of for a variety of reasons wanted to move off our, our the traditional sunday night we had going on and i realized that yeah, we're kind of blurring the line between tradition and culture but the culture yeah. of the lodge was we're going to do ex- extra rehearsals and the tradition was put it on sunday nights so when they shifted and went to try other nights it all fell apart because now mm. you're now you're not just tra- changing the tradition, you're changing how we approach stuff. Yep. And it, it did, it made it a real struggle for a while. And then, you know, after that master left the office, we, you know, the, the talk was, well, let's put it back on Sunday nights. And sure enough, people started showing up again. So it's, it, it's amazing to see those types of changes and see how they stick. And, and for the broader, and just kind of speaking on that point, Scott, uh, you know, for the broader changes, you know, obviously rehearsals, you know, are limited to the officers and those participating in a degree. But, you know, the the broader changes have to involve more than just the master, more than just the master and wardens, more than just the officers. It has to involve oh, yeah. well, brethren. You know, and, and I think that, that that's really important because I think and that's really to enhance what you said or, or to, uh, you know, to, to make a, a point on it because, you know, I think that oftentimes one of the things that happens is that masters decide to do things, right? They, they pick a goal, they pick a project they want to work on, they execute it and they don't sort of delegate and share the love. And then they're, they're gone. And then it's, and then it stops. Yeah. And, and it's important to understand that, with the like the change i did for rehearsals the conversation about making that shift started before i was master yeah so i was talking with the guys that were ahead of me hey what do you think about this maybe we should try this and you know there were a couple of masters who just didn't want to entertain it and i lucked out the guy that was ahead of me in line said hey you know what we'll go ahead and maybe we could try it out a couple of times and you know all of a sudden it was three or four of us that were showing up down there and you know, we practice our parts and we have a good time. You know, we actually had a guy that liked his cigars. So we used to sit out on the front porch so he could have his cigar downwind from those of us that have asthma. And, uh, you know, but it was a good time. 
we got the fellowship That's a good smoking porch. Yes, it is. Uh, and it has a nice cross breeze so you can get upwind if you need to be. So, but it, it was nice because you had that opportunity to have the, the get together, the fellowship, a chance to answer questions, do some education if you wanted to. And of course, then you had got the, uh, uh, you know, the actual ritual rehearsal that was going on. So it was kind of nice to see us be able to work on, do all that stuff. And it eventually stuck. Uh, you know, we have several brothers who, you know, uh, have come over from other lodges to, and joined us on Sunday nights for the education part when we work with candidates or we have just general discussions about whatever topic we want to relate to as far as education goes. It spills over into other things, but it helps out to have that this is what we do. It's it's just part of who we are. Uh, like our Christmas trees, it's part of who we are. We just, That's what we do. So it's kind of nice to have those pieces. Oh, abs yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, having consistency is, is really important and having a way for people to know how to find you and, and how to engage is, is really important. And, you know, Scott, I've tried to, we've tried to schedule meetings on Sundays and, and that's an immutable day for you most of the time because of the importance of those nights. And I think that's a very significant aspect of what I view as you know, the culture of St. Mark's is those rehearsals and candidate education nights. It's, it's um, nice now because there's more people involved. So I don't have to necessarily be there for every single one, which yeah. is kind of nice. It gives me an opportunity to be with you guys on, on Sunday nights on the, on the occasional podcast. But yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, it's even going back to when I was, uh, you know, master, when we started working on trying to do these rehearsal nights, you know, it became ingrained not just in the culture of the lodge, but it also became part of my family's culture, you know, because they'd see dad with his briefcase. Oh, must oh be yeah, in the lodge, you know, it just becomes part of the well, we don't schedule anything on Sundays because we know we're going to be, you know, dad's going to be busy, so it's it just becomes part of a larger family culture. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, really interesting when you look at the, the downstream impact of that one decision. It seems like a simple change. Let's do it. Let's just do it Sunday. But now, you know, you've got 10 guys showing up and all their lives have now been impacted as a result of that change and their families' lives are impacted. And, you know, it every decision is a pebble and, and every ripple from that is, is an important aspect of culture that's now shifted, whether it's in your lodge or in your life. Yeah, and I think it's important because when you start to have those cultural items, and it goes back to what we kind of briefly touched on at the beginning, you know, a, bro a, a potential new brother, whether he's a candidate or affiliating in, well, this is part of who we are. This is part of what we do. And it helps with the making of the decision. You know, well, you know I, I can't make the commitment to Sunday nights. So maybe this isn't the right cultural fit for me. I love the brothers, but the lodge may not be right for me. So that, that is a really good segue in, into something else is, you know, understanding that you have a culture is important, but communicating that culture to potential members is, is also hugely important because that may not mesh with what they're looking to get out of the fraternity. Some lodges are focused on the fraternal aspect more than the educational or the historical. Some are more focused on ritual excellence. Some are more focused on education. And if you have a candidate who's coming in and looking for one of those things and your lodge isn't focusing on it or doing it quite as well as, you know, a lodge the next town over, that conversation may be that you need to talk to that candidate and point them in another direction, introduce them to somebody. You know, coming from Nashville, we're very fortunate. Rising Sun and Ancient York, I think, have 
not drastically different cultures, but certainly different focuses and different cultural aspects that we, we engage in. And it's always nice to know that if I have a candidate who comes in who may not fit well with Rising Sun, that ancient York is, is meeting in the same building and, and very easy to get a hold of to introduce. But you need to have those conversations with your candidates. Yeah, you need you need to be willing to be honest to yourself with yourself and with the candidate, right? And I think sometimes we um, we see a guy that comes in, we get so excited that we have you know a man that's interested in the fraternity, possibly interested in the lodge, and and sometimes we forget you know that you know they're a part of the equation from the perspective of they have to feel comfortable, they have to be. Uh, they're seeking something, right? When they come to knock on the door, they're seeking something. So how do we respond? Do we respond saying, well, you're going to find it here guaranteed? Or do we say, well, you know, you're looking for this. Um, this is what our lodge gets, in, you know, is involves ourselves in. This is what we're like. This is what we like to do as a lodge. Um, maybe that's not covered. So to your point, you know, maybe, maybe this lodge might be a better fit for you. And that's, and it's okay to be able to, to have that conversation. Uh, we, we have so many lodges that have so many different cultures and so many different uh, ways of doing things and, and priorities that, uh, you know, even though we are the same ultimately from our, you know, from the ancient landmarks to the ritual and everything uh, such as that, yet we have those new, enough of those nuances to where uh, a man can fit, you know, that may not quite fit in a particular culture might might find another lodge that works for him and that is that is the key to i I think one of the keys to uh retaining any any new brother is to make sure that he's engaged he feels comfortable and we're utilizing his talents uh in a way that that is uh to use corporate terminology synergistic with everything else that we're trying to do oh that's gross I, I'm waiting for the Venn I, diagram to show up now. <laughs> Where's your pants? I couldn't think of it. I'm sorry, guys. I couldn't think of another word. At the well, I, I think that the conversation has to continue on beyond just the potential candidate. I mean, every brother in the lodge should be, you know, looking at his lodge and saying, is this the right fit for me? I mean, obviously, when you walk through the door, you join your fraternity, you join a particular lodge. It was a good fit. But maybe it's not a good fit for you 10 years later. You know, the lodge sure. likes I me. Mean, you know, my lodge likes to do, you know, is a heavy ritual lodge. They work for on ritual excellence. That's what they want to do. But I'm really more interested in getting some more education. Maybe there's another lodge that'll work for me. And I think it's one of those deep conversations you have to have with yourself and then with the brothers. Say, hey, look, this is what I'm looking for. Is it something the lodge can actually provide me? And it takes a really big lodge to sit there and say, you know what? It, we're not going to be able to give you what you want. However, Let's reach out to a couple of other brothers who belong to other lodges and see if we can help you find a lodge that fits what you're looking for. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, yes, my lodge might lose a member, but I haven't lost a brother. And that's that's a tough conversation. And I think that that is it requires a very member focused lodge. You, you need to make sure that you're building the right place for the right people and Everyone is a brother. Everyone is welcome, but maybe not everybody's getting the experience that they want. So we talk about the Masonic experience. We talk about, you know, making sure we're giving our new members proper instruction and we're, we're, you know, we're teaching them the ritual, right? What, what are we missing from that conversation 
that relates to culture because I know when when we have new members come in, that's not always a conversation we have. This this lodge does this this and this, or this lodge you know this is what we focus on. Are those important conversations to have? Obviously, with prospective members, but as you're progressing through the degrees, is that something that should be part of your mentoring? Is your you know past your degrees and continuing? Are those instructions on how to fit into your lodge and how to be a mason? Is culture a part of that? It should be, in my opinion. I mean, let, let's face it. You know, I think it's one of the areas that you know we all could be better at when it comes to mentoring a new candidate. You know, we we get so wrapped up and focused on you know learning the lesson, we forget that there's a lot more to the fraternity and a lot more to the individual lodge. Uh, you know, that we just miss out on. I mean, you know, yeah, there, it seems like a lot of lodges focus on the learn the lesson and let's get it done as fast as possible so we can move you on to the next step versus the what questions do you have and have we explained things enough so that you understand them? Uh, you know, it could be as something as simple as the dress code. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, in some lodges, it's, you know, every meeting's a tuxedo. Some lodges, it's the, you know, we wear tuxedos at degrees only. Uh, I actually know of lodges that, you know, there's an expectation that officers will wear tails uh, for degree work. So, I mean, you know, those are things that it's part of the culture of the lodge. And, you know, a brother, when he starts off, you know, hey, I took my EA degree last month. I'm all excited, ready to move on. Let's have a couple extra conversations before we, you know, put you in front of the brother and, and have you, you know, test your proficiency to move on to fellowcraft. Are you aware of these other things? Are there questions beyond what's in that little lesson book that we can answer for you? Uh, Cause there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, the last real group I, I worked with when they went through the degrees pre pandemic, uh, it took them nine months to get to their actual delivering of their lessons and take their next step. And a lot of the conversations weren't in the lesson book. It was how, what about this? I don't understand that. Why do, why does, why is the fraternity, do you do this? And why does the lodge do that? And it's, those are conversations that sometimes are difficult to have because, you know, you don't always have an answer. Well, I think you're, sorry, your group on Sunday nights probably helps facilitate a lot of that because you've got a group oh, of people yeah. there asking questions. The, the lodge takes a very much of a, it takes a village approach. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of brothers who, you know, they, uh, you know, a lot of us know the lesson book and a lot of us have bits and pieces of knowledge that are different from others. And the conversations are important because, it, you know, it helps the candidate understand that it's OK for you to disagree with what's going on. It's OK for you to question stuff because otherwise none of us get an opportunity to grow. Yep. Chris, I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, not at all. I mean, that you, you guys pretty much covered it. I mean, you know, I, I think when you when you mentor candidates, and this calls back to our mentorship episode, you know, when we're talking to guys yeah. that, uh, you know, men mentorship doesn't end during, you know, during the candidate, a candidate brother going through the three degrees, it continues forward. So we have to listen and have conversations instead of just talking at guys. Because I, I think that... Masonry is intimidating to those that are that are new to it. It's such a very you talk about culture. I mean, the culture of masonry, you know, in, in, in its in, you know in its whole versus you know sort of the typical culture of our everyday, you know the the you know the the masonic and the profane, right? Which is what, what we say in our you know in our ritual and how we teach. Those are very different lives they're very different 
there's a different feel to it. Uh, there are different rules. And so that process has to, that, and again, I, I, I've used this term before and it kind of, it has a bad connotation, but indoctrination, um, it, it, but that's really what it is, is that you're, you're getting somebody used to the way that we do things, um, but also listening. If we're not listening and we're not having those conversations, then we're going to get nowhere. So you brought up, a, you said Masonic culture, right? So we're talking at a macro level globally. Masonry is this, and this is the culture of Freemasonry as we recognize it within this jurisdiction. So you go down from that, you go from masonry to your individual jurisdiction and every jurisdiction has a culture. You know, we've seen, we've talked about it here on this show in the past, the Grand Lodge of New Hampshire, that jurisdiction has, has shifted uh, much more towards a focus on, on balancing ritual and education or education. You know, when I joined 13 years ago, certainly took a backseat to ritual. So now you've got this, this shift where education is, is certainly much more at the forefront. And that's a jurisdictional cultural change that then has to bleed down to lodges. And how do you balance Masonic culture, your jurisdictional culture, your lodge culture, and the individual Masonic experience to, to make it work, right? Because your lodge may not be aligned with what the Grand Lodge is saying, but at the end of the day, the grandmaster tells you something has to change or something has to be done this way, that that's the way your lodge has to do it. So yeah. how do you kind of balance those potentially conflicting uh, cultural changes? I'm going to let Chris touch this one. Oh boy. <laughs> boy, you just, that's such a hard question. It um, is. That's why I asked it. It's a very difficult question. I mean, you know, it, it's funny, you know, when you travel and you go to other jurisdictions, you, you see such the, you know, such, such a tremendous difference. Whereas, you know, a district deputy grandmaster's visitation, say, for example, I was just having a conversation today with a brother who said, yeah, well, the district deputy grandmaster's visitations, essentially, um, we open, we introduce him, we do our program. He talks for five minutes at the end and that's it. That's not how we do things here, right? But we don't necessarily know what those differences are. Um, to have that sort of uh, th that sort of balance of what what's what we talk about interjurisdictional, we talk about lodge versus uh, grand lodge, and I don't mean it to be versus because it's not that, but you know um, that. Again, that's also a communication between the constituent lodges and Grand Lodge, right? It, it isn't just that Grand Lodge is, is here doing things at this level and not involving the, uh, the lodges. Grand Lodge, and I think you've seen this, as you mentioned here in the last few years, has really tried to be far more transparent and far more uh, open uh, to, to having that discussion. And I, I think that we, as as brothers of our constituent lodges, need to need to make sure that we're also communicating. It doesn't have to be a fight. It doesn't have to be a, a push and pull. Um, it it can come together, but again, it has a lot to do with with sharing that that feedback. And I and I gotta say, and, and I might be biased, but I, I think that um, our grand line, our grand masters, as of late 
you know, in particular, um, have done a, a pretty great job as, as far as uh, listening and, and making, uh, making adaptations. But obviously, as you said, Tim, I mean, lodges do have to ultimately respond to, uh, to everything that comes down from Grand Lodge. But again, it, it doesn't have to be done just in a vacuum. That there has to, Grand Lodge is not going to get better and lodges aren't going to get better if we don't, if we don't communicate and share uh, between the two. Yeah, and I completely agree with you about the way Grand Lodge has made these cultural shifts. I think that having sat in Grand Lodge sessions, having talked to Grand Lodge officers on a regular basis, having sat you know, as master of the lodge, you definitely see communication. There's definitely a, a more open and transparent dialogue between constituent lodges, between the Grand Lodge, between the Grand Master and constituent lodges. So I think that, you know, we're very fortunate here in this jurisdiction, but, you know, those, those potential, again, I don't, I don't want to call them conflicts, but those potential differences between what a lodge culture Want, or what a lodge wants from its culture and what the Grand Lodge has kind of said should be its culture. Those are the things that, you know, can be talked about and can be balanced in a way that, yeah. you know, lodges, lodges can adapt and, and shift. And, uh, you know, again, well, we talked about those forced and natural shifts, right? Well, I, I think it's important to understand too, that in a lot of cases, when something comes down from Grand Lodge, it's not necessarily a, cultural shift that they're looking for they're looking to add an aspect or remove an aspect from what lodges are doing you know you mentioned the education piece you know uh it was several years ago i remember the the you know it came out that the grand lodge really wanted to see education have a higher emphasis in the lodges they didn't dictate how you did it they didn't dictate when you did it they didn't take what dictate what topics they needed to be they just were asking you to put more education in your meeting so from a, from a standpoint of the culture, we need to add education, but there wasn't any, you must do it this way. You must have it this right. way. And, and that makes a big difference because that gives the lodge the opportunity. Okay. We're going to add more education to our, our, pro, to our state of communications and our programming. So what does that look like for our lodge? Well, maybe it's more ritual because we want to discuss the ritual. Maybe it's the esoteric pieces. Maybe it's how Freemasonry can be utilized in our day-to-day -day lives uh, outside of, of the lodge room, you know, kind of like what uh, Right Worshipful uh, Flynn was talking about in the previous in a previous episode with the contemplation that you take outside. How do we aspect that from an education standpoint? So there's a lot of different ways to implement it within the culture of your individual lodge. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, it's important to look at because a lot of times when the Grand Lodge is communicated, we like to see these changes done. The vast majority of the time, it's this is the focus we'd like you to add, but they don't tell you how to add it. And you know what? I think that, again, coming back to communication, that's important. You hear something, you know, and again, this, this is you hear the Grand Master or the Grand Lodge as an entity say education is important. You need to include education in your meetings. Some people, if you haven't communicated that need properly, people may hear that as you need to incorporate exactly this piece of education that you've been hearing yeah, from no. District Deputy Grand Education Officer, and that's what education means. We had Right Worship Brother Ackridge on a couple of weeks ago and learned that education is not just the esoteric. It's not just the historical. 
it's it's how masonry influences our lives it's how masonry has evolved over the years it's how our ritual informs our behaviors there's so many aspects to education that you're right scott we can implement it in our own lodges any way we want the other thing to take a look at too is how the culture of education has changed over yeah. the years that's so yeah i mean I, you know I'm an old timer. I'll, I'll freely admit it. I, I took my degrees a long time ago. But, you know, when education was talked about coming over the last couple of decades, up until recently, it was the education person, whether it's the district education officer or it was a, a master's class instructor, whatever. It was the here's my slide deck. I'm going to go through the slide deck. You're going to listen to me. I'll answer any questions. And I'm only going to give you about five minutes at the end to give me those questions. And then you're going to sign this piece of paper saying that you were here. Congratulations. We've had education. But, you know, to, to, but, but yeah. now it's turned into the conversation. It's a, you know, here right. might be a couple of bullet points to get the ball rolling. And then it's all the brethren who want to participate in the conversation, participate. And even those that don't participate, I feel that they get an awful lot more out of that environment than they do out of the, I'm just going to download for the next 30 minutes. Yep. Yeah, and I think you're, I think you're getting a lot of the why and how. And again, that's I think yes. really what it boils down to is why and how, right? Uh, you can you can tell a lodger or a person or anybody, you know, okay, I want you to do this, but you need tools, right? You you need guidance, uh, especially when a lodge hasn't been doing these things for a very long time. Or, 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 or been doing them in a particular way. So, you know, this is where I think that, you know, Right Worshipful Ackridge and the Education Committee and, you know, and, and, and the Grand Line and how they've promoted that, um, you know, are really trying all about giving tools um, to the lodges. So if, if, if Grand Lodge does that, if Grand Lodges do that um, and, and, and approach it from that way in a, in a, and you know, here here are resources we can share with you. Then, then I think it, it becomes a lot easier to have that discussion. Yeah, and you know, I think the why and the how are communicated to some people, right? And you have to understand this as as master of your lodge, as a warden in your lodge, or as a secretary. You know, some of those decisions or some of those communications are only coming through your voting members of Grand Lodge who are, you know, obviously members of your lodge, which is your top three and, and your Grand Lodge rep. You need to make sure as a master or as a secretary that you communicate to the lodge all those whys and hows that have been given to you and make sure that the lodge is understanding that, you know, we have flexibility with this. We have the ability to make our own decisions because it may be something that the master understands, but the brethren within that lodge may, you know, take umbrage at some change the Grand Lodge is forcing us to do. But if you communicate and understand that communication needs to continue going after you as the master received it, I think that's something that can really help improve that that conversation and that experience. It's also important to understand that the conversation needs to go back the other way too when there's a challenge. Yeah. You know, if there's a question yeah. about why are we doing something, ask it. You know, if there's a question about is there, you know, what are the what are the parameters I have to follow because it didn't seem to be too clear to me, ask the question. Because at the end of the day, we're all trying to get to the same place. You know, we want to have a good experience. We want to cover what we need to cover. And the only way to do that is, you know, as Chris said, we've got to communicate better. 
and you know doug paps made a comment uh, a little while ago and i kind of want to bring it up it, you know he says it's very hard to get feedback and i think that we've all sat in those lodge rooms where a presentation is happening the presentation is over are there any questions or you know the the presenter asks a question and is looking for feedback and the room is dead silent because Been people done that absolutely <laughs> you know uh, hopefully that doesn't stick through the whole night and people warm up but getting feedback can come in a lot of different ways i think chris you mentioned surveys i think you can have those discussions in, in your lodge meetings and finding ways to solicit feedback that works for your membership is just as important as getting the feedback itself. And it's actually a cultural item. Because yeah. if you're in a lodge where feedback and questioning what's being done is an accepted norm, you're more likely to get those conversations than those that are tr traditionally more along the lines of the boardroom meeting where they ask for feedback. Unless you have very, something very specific you want to ask, you keep your mouth shut. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it is, it's a cultural shift to be in it, to feel comfortable enough to be able to have those conversations. And that one actually takes a long time to build. Yeah. yeah. You, you talk about, you talk about, you know, sort of surveying and, you know, things, you know, Grandmaster is about to have his town halls in, in March. And, and that's part of the reason that, you know, we, that that's done is that is to have that sort of communication on that level. I mean, that isn't, that doesn't mean that a, a lodge master can't have a town hall amongst his members. It doesn't have to be in a stated meeting just call, you know, just get guys together and have a discussion. Uh, I, I think to, to really point when it's presented, when things are presented, people tend to, you know, back off and are a little bit more reticent to be heard. But I think if you're, if you're, if you're casual and you're in a group where everyone is, you know, uh, on the level from the perspective of, you know, it's not in a formalized lodge meeting, we're just having a, a chat, then, then I think you can get a lot more out of, out of guys in that, in that setting than you might in an open lodge. Setting. Yeah. I, I think, you know, we've got some really good comments, you know, Doug, uh, followed up and has anyone used anonymous electronic suggestion boxes? Yeah. And that's a great question. It's not something, it's not something I've considered, but I think that, you know, seeing it now, that's a fantastic idea. As long as you can maintain that anonymity and make sure that your brethren are, are still getting their points across and, and being served. It, the next comment is from Brian Ellis, brothers are scared to create waves. It allows you to act without that fear of, of being the one who's you know potentially starting a conversation that may be uncomfortable. That's actually something that, you know, when I went through the chairs and did a lot of reading, you know, trying to get myself prepared to be master, it was actually one of the common threads that you see with a lot of masters, where it's the, you know, the, the advice they're given is don't rock the boat. Don't yep. create the waves. Make sure you take care of what you absolutely have to take care of and then get out of the chair. And well, that's you know, a care, the caretaker master. Yeah. Yes. I'm for, I, and, and there's a lot of them out there. I mean, you know, I'm not and they're not necessarily a bad master. It's just yeah. their approach. Uh, you know, there are other ones that are more proactive. There are more, you know, it's, it's all depends on who they are individually, but it's the culture of the lodge. If the culture accepts the fact that, you know, the masters just kind of, kind of ride his year or two years or however long he's in the East and there and that's acceptable that's acceptable for the master's chair and that's part of the culture of the lodge but you know there are times where that's uh, you know that might be the thing to do 
Um, well, can, I'm not can, saying it's bad. It's, I mean, it could be, no. I mean, you know, you may have a master sitting there. He's an absolutely wonderful individual. You know, the type of guy that anybody in the lodge will give the right arm to, to help him out. But he doesn't do all the other stuff that you would expect a master to do. So other brothers pick up those other pieces and run with them to help that individual out. You've created a new culture for the lodge. The expectation yeah. isn't the master is going to do all these pieces. The expectation is the master is going to, you know, be the, you know, for lack of a better term, the fellowship or spiritual leader of the lodge and kind of, you know, it's, they're all about the let's all work together. Let's all have a great time. Let's all, you know, put sh shoulder to shoulder and get the job done. But he doesn't in the one that actually actually leads the work. Yeah. But the but the, you know, sort of the the tone the personality, the way that a master carries himself in open lodge ha absolutely has an effect on on the rest of this too. You know, oh, if, yeah. if, if, if 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 I if I don't know my if I don't know my ritual in the east and I get up in the east and I'm stumbling and I'm kind of you know not not sure of myself, then that that's sort of going to permeate down too. So I mean, it it's. And that sort of has the, the, the shorter term effect of what happens in the moment, but it also has that ripple effect of what, you know, what, it, what this lodge is all about. It uh, can also ripple up that. as well, because True. if you get a couple of deacons and, you know, they're crisp in their floor work and on point with everything, the rest of the brother in the lodge try to, you know, the, you'll start to feel that the, the wave lift everybody. Hey, yeah, you know, they're doing that. I got to do, I got to take that step up as well. Yeah. And I, I think that, is is really interesting because i think the fastest way to affect a cultural change in a lodge is for the master to set an example and you know the rest of the lodge responds i think that is whether it's active or on purpose you know to chris's point stumbling on ritual that kind of behavior does have the potential to i mean it ripple through the next three officers who think it's okay not to know everyone and i think it's it's, it's of course i touch on that by the way sorry yeah <laughs> it's about being grand, grand lecture, lecture I everybody i i do think it's something to take a look at because like you say the quickest way to affect that kind of thing is the master but the long-term way to do it and affect a longer term impact on your culture is the guys at the bottom making those oh yeah. absolutely absolutely junior, yep. you know if the junior deacon shows up for lodge every every month and you know the suits all pressed he's spot on with his ritual work the rod works fantastic you know and he takes the time to help the next guy who comes in as junior deacon to do the same thing. It's going to build that momentum and it'll, you'll see it when he gets to the East, hopefully, and it continues on at that point, but that's yeah. a long time coming. Yeah. I mean, many lodges in this jurisdiction have two year terms. That's a, you know, that's a 10 year journey from that crisp junior deacon and his freshly pressed tuxedo. But those 10 years change the lodge forever because now everybody coming into that junior deacon seat is has an expectation and i think you're right scott you know the those people at the at the very beginning of their officer career have the opportunity to make the biggest change just by showing up and, and doing things that's how you get the long-term change i think you know chris's example of a master standing up that's a that's a short-term but very quick change so there, there are definitely different ways to view changing your lodge culture. You know, two other uh, comments I wanted to bring up, uh, Tom Ladd, one of the reasons people may not engage is if I ask a question, he's going to talk for 10 more minutes. Yes, but you know what? If if you have 
good discussions, good presentations, hopefully that becomes a positive and not the negative that, you know, we all, we've all been there, right? We've all been at a, a presentation that we just want to end and nobody's going to ask a question. Make sure that those discussions, you know, seed the audience if you have to, but make sure those discussions are good and that they're effective and that people are engaged and talking for 10 more minutes isn't a problem. And again, sorry to our Facebook users. I don't know who you are, but know your audience. You know who the talkers are and ask them directly a question to get a, get the ball rolling. If you ever ever a presenter and you see one of the three of us sitting in a lodge room, especially Chris. Run screaming. Look right at him and ask him the question and you'll have 15, 20 minutes more material right there. I mean, but those people are part of your lodge culture and they're going to inspire more conversation. And those, you know, those people tend to be social leaders within the group because they're the more outgoing and the, the more talkative. And they're going to inspire other people to have those conversations. So I think that that's a great suggestion. Um, you know, I, we've been talking now for, for a little over an hour. So kind of looking to wrap this up. Um, any, are there any final comments about Lodge culture and, and you know, or anything we, we didn't discuss that you think is an important part of this conversation? Chris? Well, that's always true with every one of these conversations. There's a lot that's not covered, but I, I, I think, uh, you know, I think we hit, we hit the points. And I think more specifically, brethren, if you have comments uh, or questions and want to continue just the discussion, if you're on Facebook, you know, um, continue chatting in, in the, uh, you know, on the, on the Facebook post or in the, you know, on the page, send us an email. Um, let's keep the conversations going. Uh, because this is not a conversation that's limited to us. This is something that conversation, the reason why we do these are the conversations I think that a lot of us have. Um, and, and I think having this, having these talks, starting these with, you know, with an audience and then continuing them on, I think is really important. Uh, so can, if you contribute in that way, brethren, that's, that's really what, what I hope for and that we can, you know, learn something from, from each other. We're trying to shift our podcast culture. That's right. You got it. We want to be more inclusive. I mean, first off, I want to thank Tim for putting the email up because I know that I bug him about it all the time. And yes, I did see you put it up in the last podcast. So Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, to, to echo some of what Chris mentions, you know, it's it's important to continue the conversation in your own lodges. Uh, and I do want to touch on the fact that, you know, if you have questions, if you want to, if there's something you feel we should have covered and we didn't, let us know. Uh, I, I think my, my two counterparts here would be open to you know, retouching on a topic, we, even though we've already talked about it, because oh, there's always more stuff we can, we can chat about with any of these things. I mean, we're you know, on episode 17 now, and there's plenty of stuff I'm sure that we left on the floor that we don't realize that we left uh, in, other, in some of the other podcasts. So revisiting a topic is always a good thing. But I think that the big challenge with culture is, is that you have to be willing to have the conversations you have to be accepting of the fact that a culture may not change just as likely as it might change, uh, you know, and you have to understand that. And it's important to keep in mind that it's not just the, you know, dozen or two dozen guys that are sitting in the room at a given moment. It's your entire lodge. So, I mean, you know, most of us, you know, if we see 15% of our membership show up at a meeting, we're, we're all happy, but you know, the, that leaves an awful lot of guys that aren't at the meeting 
who are just as likely to be impacted by the cultural shifts you're making then. So it's important to keep that in mind when you're when you're having the conversations and how it's going to impact things around you. And as Chris, as uh, Tim, Tim mentioned, the uh, the downhill ripples. How's it going to affect your families and your the friends and the other things that you're doing outside of the of the lodge room? So, uh, but yeah, it's always great having a conversation with both of you because it's always always makes you wonder and question some of the stuff that you thought you knew before you started the conversation, which I hope everybody else gets a chance to take away as well. And again. You know, having the conversations in the chat that we're seeing, that is what makes this podcast work because some of our most thought-provoking discussions come from a comment that somebody makes in our chat. So, you know, to Chris's point, we want you to chat after the episode. You know, if you see our, an upcoming episode posted and you have some thoughts that you want to get in before we go live, feel free to post on our Facebook. But absolutely make sure that you're still staying engaged. We had some great comments tonight. The last four or five episodes have had really, really good audience interaction. And I think that, you know, that's what we're here for. We really want to hear what, what the jurisdiction wants to hear from us. And we're here to deliver, hopefully, entertaining and, and you know, good discussion for our audience. So I think that, we, you know, thank you all for being here. Thank you for joining us. Um, and Chris, Scott, thank you for joining me this evening on the show. And we look forward to hearing from you uh, next month. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, guys. Night.